Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. And by thanking Scott and Steve for uh, filling in for me last week, I, I think I'm thanking them. I haven't listened to them yet, so uh, I did listen to Scott's two uh, Bible classes he filled in for me. I'm looking forward to still listening to Scott and Steve's sermon, but thank you to both of them for jumping in there and filling in the gaps for me. Uh, if you don't mind, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're going to spend most of our time today in 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, and talking about this, the concept of the sword of the Spirit. I know that's a weird place to turn to talk about the sword of the Spirit. Uh, we typically would turn to passages like Ephesians chapter 6, which in describing the full armor of God, it says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Or maybe when we talk about the Word of God and a sword, what comes to mind is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, over there it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But there's a reason I want to turn over to First and Second Timothy, and I think you'll, you'll see why in a moment. I, I will share with you where this sermon is coming from. Uh, I have, over the course of the past probably two months, listened to a podcast that was put out by Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I started the podcast thinking this was going to be about some, you know, Mars Hill in Athens, the, you know, where Peter or Paul preached his sermon. I was completely wrong. It was actually about uh, a guy named Mark Driscoll. He was a well-known preacher, pastor of a, of a mega church out in Seattle that was called the Mars Hill Church. And he was famously in the news for a while because he was a bit of an abrasive man. He did not mind shouting cuss words from the pulpit. Uh, he was one who very much taught a male-dominant type uh, theology where men needed to get in control of their homes and they needed to make sure their women were, were staying at home and providing for them and providing for their every pleasure. And women were told very strongly that that was their place and their only place. And, and, and it was a very um, masculine presentation of the gospel. Not only was it masculine in its understanding of the home, which is not necessarily a, a wrong viewpoint, uh, but it, it was masculine in the way it was presented. It was abrasive, it was rude, it was mean, it was full of crass jokes. And he particularly made the news because there came a point in his ministry in which he started... Uh, for lack of better terms, beating people up with the gospel. He would make threats from the pulpit. He would make threats in personal conversations or at conventions where he was speaking to large uh, church groups that he might be uh, addressing. He, he was mean and rude and ugly in the way that he presented the gospel. 
It was a fascinating podcast because it basically told the story of this man and the church that he built up into the thousands and then how everything fell apart and the, the last episode came out just a few weeks ago and I listened to it yesterday on the way home. I, the sermon was written before then, but the, the, the earlier part in the podcast got me thinking about this, and I just happened to finish it yesterday. It, it, was, it was really a good exercise for me because it allowed me to kind of think back on my own understanding of the way that the Bible should be used in teaching people. So is it right to use the Bible like a club? And that's really kind of how he did. He, he would beat people over the head with what oftentimes were true statements. But the way the truth was delivered was abrasive and mean and off-putting, unless you were looking for that sort of thing. Or, or is it right to use the gospel less like a club and more like a pair of handcuffs? where you can trap people with truth and you can kind of lock their hands behind them and give them nowhere to go and just make them feel stuck. Well, it's interesting that the Bible is described in Scripture as a sword. It's described as, as the sword of the Spirit. And there are certain implications and lessons that go along with that sort of description of Scripture. That the gospel should be used like a sword. And they're not always what I think are probably the more obvious. I'm not going to get into a discussion with you about, about you know, uh, parrying and thrusting and things like that that you would think about whenever you're thinking about a sword. But... I will say one of the things that I, I think is a good lesson for us is that the sword is intended to be used and used for battle. There in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8, but we know that the law was good provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law was not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which is entrusted to me. Now, that is not typically the way we use the sword. Do you know what we use the sword for? Encouragement. We use the sword for academics. We use the sword so that we might memorize lists of prophets and judges and kings and apostles. We use the sword so that we can have a better understanding of Israel's history. What does Paul tell us here? That the purpose of the sword is not for the classroom. The purpose of the sword is not so that we might make one another feel better about ourselves. The purpose of this sword, of this law, of this gospel, is to confront people with their sins. Is that what we're using it for? 
Let me ask. Just think back into this last week. How many times did you pull your sword out to use it for its purpose? How many conversations did you have with a liar, a perjurer, or a slave trader this week? Or, or maybe let's hit a little closer to home to a rebellious person or a gossip or a liar. How much use did your sword get this week? Because I'll be honest, and I can use vacation as an excuse, but not a single time with me. Not a single time. That's not what the sword is for. The sword is not just for our encouragement. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to regularly practice with our sword. I'm not saying there isn't times in which we should exercise with our sword, where we should be familiar with the sword, that we should know our sword better. Even a soldier is going to clean his sword often. He is going to make sure it is sharpened and ready for battle. But my question is, are you intending to use your sword for battle? Or is it something you just keep on nice little hangers on the wall of your living room because it's pretty to look at and it's nice to own and it's good to know it's available if ever you were forced to use it? The sword is supposed to be used for battle. And I would go so far as to say the sword really only works when it is used. Chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. Paul was very clear that Timothy's job was to fight the good fight. What fight is that? Where are we doing battle at? Are we taking this sword and actually using it for fighting, or are we, are we just letting it stay in the scabbard, safe and convenient when needed? I'm afraid that the sword of the Spirit that we've been given to wield in this world is not getting used. It's growing rusty because we're not using it the way it should be used. You look over in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You start reading in verse 6 there. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching which you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Skip down to verse 11 with me. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. I mean, here, what, what you have here is saying, that we need to be those who are using it as good servants. We're nourished by it. We, are, we can use it to encourage. We can use it to help one another. We can use it as we try to 
try to encourage our brethren and grow together. And that here, I think it's interesting that Paul tells Timothy, don't let fellow believers look down on you because you're young, because you're inexperienced, because you might not know as much as they do. Don't let them despise your character because you've built your character on the truth of the word. There is a scent, and we're going to talk about this in more detail in a moment, where the sword, part of the purpose of the sword is to use it to train yourself. Use it to be more of a good soldier than you've been. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Familiar passage of scripture where it says, Be diligent to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly teaching or handling the word of truth. I would argue, and I don't think it's hard to see, that the sword is only as effective as the one who's using the sword. I heard the expression years ago that a person who doesn't read is no better than a person who can't read. Because what's the difference? If you're refusing to read, You're in no better shape than the one who who can't read. And the same is true about our use of Scripture. A person who doesn't read their Scripture, doesn't train themselves, doesn't expose themselves to the teachings, isn't finding themselves within the Word of God, they are no better than the person who has no access or no ability to read the Word of God. The sword itself is only as effective as the person who's handling the sword. So how effective are you at handling it? I, I, I've told you all before, many times, the number one reason people say that they don't evangelize is because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. So, the answer to that is, don't say the wrong thing. Well, how's that possible? Training. Being diligent in the word to the point to where you can accurately handle the truth. That's like me saying, you know, I'm afraid that if I get in my car, I'm going to die, so I'm just never going to drive anywhere. This past week, as you all know, we were down at uh, Disney World, and I had the fun conversation with with one of my children, I won't name which one, but who was just scared to go on roller coasters. Just scared. Uh, Just absolutely frightened about the idea of of what could happen. Well, if you're always scared of what could happen so you don't do it, you never get the joy of actually doing it. And I think people do that with the word of truth. They're so scared of what could happen if they said the wrong thing that they would rather say no thing, which then allows that person that they should be teaching to go untaught so the person gets not taught either way. Do you see why that doesn't work? Do you see why that logic doesn't doesn't make any sense? Uh, I'm not going to teach them because if I say the wrong thing, they will... They will not respond to Jesus. So saying nothing to them, which also lets them not respond to Jesus, is better? 
but we, we do that. You know, the right answer is to just prepare yourself to do the work. And you don't got to know the the list of kings and however many judges there are and and the names of all the apostles. You don't have to have all that information memorized. It's as as simple as scribbling down a few notes and sharing those verses with people. It's not a hard process. God makes it easy. But you got to want to do it. You got to want to actually get up and use the sword for its purpose. You also find chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. The purpose of the sword is to to defeat enemies. And and I'll be honest, I've, I've had this argument with people many times over the years that we like to engage in pointless debates. And we do it a lot. We'll get all wrapped up in, in what this word means and what about this idea and, well, this church over here teaches this and this church over here teaches this and, and we'll spend hours upon hours studying things that really, honestly, in the long run, don't make a lick of difference, all in the guise of preparing ourselves to do the job of actually wielding the sword. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you, spend a little less time studying pointless matters and a little more time sharing things that do matter with those who need it. It'll get you a lot further. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time for deeper study on on matters of of faith and matters of, of conviction and Uh, There are times when it's just good to study things, but not to the absence of using the sword for its purpose. But I want to share with you what I think is the sword's greatest purpose and the one that while we talk about it often, we don't talk about it in terms of using the sword of the Spirit. We often use that concept of sword of the Spirit in the in the context of evangelism, but there's also a sense in which we need to be willing to use the sword of the Spirit on ourselves first. Chapter 2, verse 22, flee from youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. Part of what we need to do as as Christians is just get back to the practice of cutting out the things that need to be cut out in our lives and applying the things that should be there. And and that's one of the purposes of the sword of the Spirit. We we read Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about it using it like a piece of the full armor of God and standing up against the devil. 
while we often use this, this image of the sword of the Spirit in the context of evangelism, that really is the context of being more mature and more developed yourself. When we look over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which we also read at the beginning, the context there is that it is able to split between the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It allows us to evaluate ourselves better and become more of what God intends us to be. You've got other passages like Matthew chapter 5, which talks about if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it far from you. Or you've got passages like 1 John chapter 2 that's talked about confess your sins, agree with God about what the standard is, and that we need to do that because we need to stop sinning, it says there in chapter 2, verse 2. God's intention is that we develop and grow and become less sinful and more redeemed every single day. That requires Pruning is an image we use in Scripture. Or we refined by fire is an image we use in Scripture. All these images that talk about getting rid of the bad stuff and adopting more of the good stuff. Put away the old man and become more of the new man. Get rid of the works of the flesh and adopt the fruits of the Spirit. All of these ideas are about increasing and becoming better and more of what you are supposed to be. Here's why I've been thinking about this. That podcast I listened to about Mark Driscoll, as, we, as I started the podcast and it talked about a lot of the things he was teaching in the early days of that church, I thought, this is refreshing and good. He was talking about men being leaders in their homes and he was talking about women being submissive. Biblical ideas. He was talking about men being leaders in churches and being teachers and going out and sharing the gospel with people who have never heard about Jesus before. Biblical ideas. But at some point in his ministry, his, his character interfered with his message. And I'm afraid that the same can happen to you and me. That if we have a message we want to share with the world, a, a soul-saving, life-changing, eternal message that we want to share with the world, but our character interferes with our ability to get out there and share that message, there's a problem. And the first thing we need to start doing with the sword of the Spirit is cutting off the bad things in our lives and adopting more of the good. The other reason I was thinking about this is because in that podcast, I kept thinking, what would have happened if he would have seen himself rightly and admitted his fault and been willing to, to come to terms with his failures and with his weaknesses, and he would have listened to the people who had confronted him instead of throwing them out of the church, and he would have, he would have found a way to grow and mature as a person could things have been different? Because he was teaching a lot of good and getting closer and closer and closer to the truth in the early days. And can the same be true of us? We've got to be willing to put away the bad. Then we can use it to help others. 
Isn't that what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7? Do not judge lest you be judged, for in the same way you judge others, it will be judged to you. Do not say to the man who has a, a speck in his eye while you have a log in your own eye, hey, let me remove that speck from your eye. No, first remove the log from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck out of someone else's. Shouldn't we be removing the specks out of our eyes so then we can use this same sword to help others? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I want you to note everything Paul said there was about character. That you need to have the character first to be able to help others. Servant can't be a quarrelsome person. Got to be gentle. If, if they're able to teach, do so with patience that they need to be instructing their opponents, their enemies, those who stand against them, that those people need to be handled with gentleness? My question for you is this. How gentle are you? How have you shaped your character in such a way that you can use a powerful tool like the sword of the Spirit? Because you'll never be effective with it until you work on the character first. And then you can help others. Because then once you have the kind of character, the kind of gentleness, the kind of patience, the kind of ability to teach, you are that kind of person and you go to your brother or your sister or you go to somebody in the world and you say, hey, I've noticed something that I think can be better in your life. They're not going to look at you as if you're coming at them with conflict, as if you're coming at them with, with, with a battle plan, as if you're coming at them to attack them. They're going to they're want to listen to you. They're going to want to hear what you have to say because they respect you at that point. They're going to want to, to, to change their life because they recognize your life is in better shape than theirs. And that's the plan. You relate this back to, to, to sword juice. Several years ago, a lot of years ago, I think I was in a eighth grade. My brother was in the drama club at, at the high school. And they were doing a, a show called Into the Woods. And he was Prince Charming, I think, in that play. And so he had to wear a sword. And so uh, there was a point at which they had to do a little bit of dueling. And so he brought home two swords in order for us to practice in the backyard. Okay, that sounds like fun to an eighth grader, right? So we pull out our swords we on guard the way we're supposed to. And I don't know that my brother had the choreography down just yet, but, I mean, he started wailing on me with that sword. I mean, just metal sword just started whacking, 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 and I'm just holding my sword up, just trying not to get hit. 
at which point his sword breaks in half because it's not a real sword. It's a prop sword, and it just breaks in half, and he has to spend like $70 to replace it, and I got to laugh at him later because of it. But, I mean, neither one of us were really good with a sword. He wasn't the person I would go to to get help. Not with that. Because he was awful. He broke his own sword. I think sometimes we think if we whack someone hard enough with the word of God, they'll change. If we hit them hard enough over the head, if we, if we f- kind of get flashy and, and spin our sword around and, and we look like we know what we're doing, then they'll come to us when they have questions. It's not the way it works. People don't come to you because you're swinging around the sword. They come to you because they can trust you with the sword. Are you the kind of person who can be trusted with God's word? Because if you are, then, then, then people come to you for answers. They come to you when they need help. They come to you when they recognize their need for redemption. And once we get to being that kind of person, then we can start combating the devil. Last verse for this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. Here it says, then they may come to their senses, this person that you've taught, this person who who you have uh, brought the truth of God to and God has granted them repentance. It says, then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See, what I, I love about this is that the sword of the Spirit I might be wrong, but I can't think of a time where we're ever told to use it against the devil. What we're told is to use it to help people escape the devil. We're told to help people get away from the traps of the devil. And that if we, you know, God defeats the devil, we just help rescue people. We go out there and we we share the truth with people so that they can get away from the traps they are in. They can get away from the difficulties of life that have them stuck. They can get away from their own failures. They can get away from their guilt. They can get away from all the difficulties that they've created for themselves and pursuing their own way and being manipulated by the devil. We can help them escape from that if we will bring them the truth. But that requires us to be the kind of people that they will listen to in the first place. You see, wielding the sword of the Spirit isn't like beating someone over the head with with a Bible. It's not using it like a club. And it's not trapping people in their bad logic or trapping people with good arguments or trapping people so that they can't get away. Using the sword of the Spirit has a lot to do with being the kind of person you're supposed to be. I was wrong. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In that most famous place where we, we read of the Bible being the sword of the Spirit, notice the other pieces of the armor. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, Righteousness like armor on your chest. 
your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. You notice all of that dealt with what we are given by God, that, that the kind of people we are supposed to be, we're supposed to be people of faith, people who are prepared, people of peace, people of, uh, of salvation, who, who are joyful in our salvation. They all dealt with the way we, we act and the way that we are in our character. And that's what God's concerned about. It's a great thing to be in his army. Because you join the military and it's all about performance. You know what God's military is about? Character. Being the kind of people we're supposed to be. It's not, not about achievements. It's not about getting enough done. It's about being the kind of person he has called us to be. And that's one of the great things that, that happens in God's kingdom is that he allows us to just Trust in him to win the battle and just keep in march with him and do things his way and he'll make things work out. If you're not a child of God, I, I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. I, I want to I share a very simple truth with you, which is this. You either belong to God, you join his army, you put on his armor, you wield his sword, you be the kind of person you're supposed to be, which just about being a good person, being, being the kind of person that Scripture describes. If you can do that, then you can belong to God's army. He can wash away all your sins. He can rescue you from the devil. He can bring you to repentance. Uh, he, he can save you from, from all of your mess if you're just willing to belong to him. And all that begins in baptism. So I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, that it, it's that simple. I, I, I really, I'm always amazed at how simple it is. You just let him wash away your sins. And you can be committed to him for life and, and, and have something great. If you need the invitation to get your life right, to become a child of God, please come forward and let us know as we stand to sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, Please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.